had a trumpet until you lost it. You thought that music could make you whole. But hey everyone, Misaligned is back this week, and I am talking with Chandler Locke of Swordfish this week. Chandler, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. It's starting to warm up here in California. I don't know how it is for you over in Michigan, right? It's beautiful today. 70 and sunny. Nice, nice. That sounds like great weather considering you are over in Michigan. And where exactly are you you guys from in Michigan? Uh, we're from like the Ypsilanti Ann Arbor area. Um, so sort of like southeast Michigan, but not like probably like 40 minutes northwest of Detroit. Okay, so you guys can easily get to Detroit for shows then and everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you guys were like out in the boonies part of Michigan or something like that, because I know there's a lot of wide open spaces in Michigan. And when I see these sort of small town names, I'm just like, I have no idea where that is, because oftentimes you'll see bands that are from, you know, like the bigger cities or they just list the bigger cities so people don't you know have to ask these questions but it's cool that you guys sort of keep that as your hometown when you list it on facebook and everything like that and is there much of a music scene there or do you find yourselves just going over to detroit to sort of see bands and everything like that that's a that's a really good question so um when we were just starting out um, we found that it was like a little bit difficult to like get into shows and things like that and like organize shows if you didn't have like sort of a reputation to precede you. Um, so we actually like got a lot of like our start playing house shows with our friends. Um, okay. So uh, actually one of the most like prominent DIY venues in the Ipsy area is like our friend's basement because like we were like playing the shows there and we started like it started getting some like notoriety um so i'd say that yes there is there is a scene there it's a little bit tricky to get into um but uh i'd say that the ann arbor and detroit scenes are like very like intermingled they play a lot of shows together Yeah, that's awesome. And when I was going to college in Philadelphia, there was something that was very similar there because near the two main college campuses towards the West Philly area, you had a bunch of college kids who were renting apartments or houses that had basements in them. So we would all be going to these basement shows with our friends and bands, especially since I majored in music industry it was a lot of my friends sort of putting on these shows and basements and everything and it sounds very similar to that and you know even though we were still technically in philadelphia it's like we had this own little scene to ourselves and you know some of the bands would go and they would play some of the smaller venues around town but a lot of them would sort of just thrive on these house shows and you could get basements packed with people and you could have people come and go too as the night went on to see different bands so it definitely sounds like you guys are in a similar situation there especially since you aren't too far from Detroit yeah I think you're you're describing it pretty much perfectly um they sound like very similar experiences yeah that's awesome so 
why don't we go ahead and start talking about Rhodia? I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's how I've been pronouncing it in my head this entire time. So we pronounce it as Rodia. So Rodia, okay. Yeah, yeah. which uh, I totally understand the weird pronunciation. <laughs> I, I mean, with my last name and everything. <laughs> so what went behind s- starting these songs for Rodia? Did you guys sort of just sit down and get a bunch of writing done? Or did you sort of just piece this release together with songs you had already worked on, whether it was independently or as a band? Uh, so it's mostly uh, the latter, uh, what, you, what you just described. Um, me, uh, Kyle, and I, the lead guitar player, um, we've known each other since like m- middle school. And we actually like started learning how to play guitar together, um, which is which is kind of cool with uh, as like having that as the basis of swordfish um so we like tried to like start numerous little pop punk folk punk projects throughout our um before we graduated high school and none of those really (laughs) surfaced or if they did surface at all i've made sure that all traces of them have been deleted (laughs) (laughs) but um so some of the songs off of rodia are songs that are like Kyle and I had been messing around with like maybe our junior and senior years of high school. Um, I just graduated college, if that gives you a little bit of a time frame. Yeah. Um, so it's the some of the songs are maybe five, six years old. Um, whereas uh, <clears throat> some of the other songs on the record, uh, for example, uh, Owen, um, were songs that we sort of like came together as a band to create. So there's sort of there's sort of a timeline. Some of the songs come from uh, a long time ago, and then some of them are pretty fresh. But they mostly come together as like individual compositions that uh, the rest of the musicians will like build on too. Yeah, that's awesome. It's definitely always great to see bands that can sort of have these ideas and then work on them as a whole instead of you know sometimes we'll see these bands where it's like basically the singer is the main person in the band the singer does the writing and everything like that and then the band is sort of just there to back the singer up so it's always nice to have bands that definitely want to make it a collaborative effort like you guys do and I do want to talk a little bit about the press that you guys received for this release because you had Ian Cohen over at Pitchfork do a write-up on Ghost Song was that something that you guys knew was going to happen or did you guys totally not see that coming and it was just sort of this pleasant surprise because I can't imagine what it's like for you know you guys or even Joe at Take This to Heart to sort of have that happen sort of just out of the blue I guess. Yeah it's sort of been like quite a surreal experience as far as the press and the response to the record has gone um, specific to uh, Ian Cohen and the the Pitchfork review. Um, we had our like I feel like like bands follow music writers, but like don't like, but will do so like very covertly, um, just because you don't want to like I don't know creep out a music writer because then they're less likely to write about you. But we saw 
Ian Cohen tweeting um, something swordfish related, and uh, it seemed like uh, he was into it. Um, and then uh, somebody from Pitchfork emailed Joe and asked for uh, some like information about the record and a picture. And that's sort of all we got until uh, the day that their review was published, um, which was like, I don't know, Christmas morning when I was 12. <laughs> That's uh, the feeling that I can equate it to. Um, but yeah, that was that was amazing. And uh, I, not not only did did he write the review, but he wrote some really glowing things about uh, our music. And that was really special to all of us. Yeah, that's awesome. As someone who also runs a label that's even smaller than Joe's, you know, just to see anyone sort of posting about these bands that you work with and to have bands that are just, you know, so into what they're doing that they're super appreciative of any sort of press they get. That's definitely an awesome experience. And while I haven't had it on that sort of scale, I can kind of imagine what that reaction would be like, especially since I, you know, talk to Joe back and forth so much over Facebook Messenger about label stuff. And, you know, this album was one that him and I went back and forth on because he sent it to me, you know, before he sent out the actual downloads or streams or anything through a press release. And I listened to it and the music is definitely really catchy. And I know on Facebook and whatnot, you guys have yourselves listed as a indie punk emo band. And that definitely really fits with sort of this string of publicity you guys have been getting because you did have a song on washed up emo as well right yeah yeah we um streamed our first single over there um which was social drinker and then we did the full album stream also on washed up emo and when you have things like that happen uh, the first single on washed up emo and then ian cohen writing about your music do you generally see sort of this uptick in people either following you on twitter liking you on facebook and sort of just listening to your music and checking you guys out in general um i mean yeah absolutely i think that um the it's i mean it's super cool but it's also kind of like sad the amount of the effect that um that sort of publicity can have um just so that I don't I don't know like bands that are might be more deserving of us that don't get that review or I mean it's hard to talk about like bands being deserving and not but um, it was really cool to get all of that publicity and to see um, more and more people listening to our stuff um, and to, yeah like uh, I mean it's it's hard for me to set my phone down on like release days just because I love seeing. Uh, people starting to follow the different accounts and uh, like our tweets and post about us and share us with their friends. It's all um, it's all things that we never thought that w would ever happen with this record. Um, and to to see it happen is like I don't know. It's uh, it's incredible, and <laughs> I'm just so appreciative that we're in a, the spot that we are right now. Yeah, definitely. And I know what you mean by not being able to set your phone down on release date or anything like that, because when I released the last release on my album, which was by a band called Elephant Jake from New York, 
you know, I am such a stats nerd sometimes that I really like seeing those numbers sort of roll in and I'm like, okay, this did well. And, you know, maybe we can work on stuff here. And being a small label, I don't necessarily have the funds to run these huge campaigns. So it's still a very DIY thing. And I know Joe runs things in a very similar manner over at Take This to Heart. So do you guys still, even though you're on Take This to Heart, have that DIY attitude towards getting your music out there and everything like that? I I would have, I mean, absolutely, I would say so. Um, I mean, like word of mouth is like, I think one of the most like valuable ways to like push music around. Um, I think that like we have like a, we, so far we have like a sponsored Instagram post and a sponsored Facebook post, and I think that's like all of the advertising that um, we've done, like that we've paid for, I guess. Um, but I think that uh, sort of going back to the phone thing, it's like um, it's it, I really don't like catching myself like trying to like quantify our success with like likes and shares and things, um, which is something that I've. Uh, myself and the band have wrestled with is just like uh, like I want to like be like oh we reached a thousand plays on the song and we reached oh we're at two thousand um, and like that's super exciting but it's hard to like be like that that's that's what art is and that's like I don't know if that's a super healthy thing to get into um, but wait we were talking about um, the DIY stuff yeah yeah um, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Tangents are welcome on this podcast. <laughs> um, this is my, my first podcast, by the way. So thank you so much for having me and for inviting me to do this. This is really special. Of course. But yeah, the the DIY stuff, I don't really think, I think it, that it's a mentality that we've like tried to upkeep. Um, we've only been a band for a little over a year. Um, so we haven't had a lot of time to like, be like this is DIY this isn't DIY but uh, we're also all college students with um, nice amounts of debt um, in our closets so we try to do things as like as efficiently and as affordable as possible yeah of course and it's awesome that you guys are such a new band and you are sort of already seeing your work pay off whether or not that is monetarily true or not you know i don't ask joe for numbers or anything like that on his releases but to see you guys just sort of get this attention so early on is you know a good sign for you guys because you will have these fans returning for when you release more music already and you know you'll have sort of this built-in fan base just from some of the publicity you've been getting and what do you think about you know this idea that a lot of people are saying music blogs are dead and that sort of thing because clearly it's something that has helped you for this release specifically yeah absolutely um so i would say that i wasn't super involved in the music industry industry or like very well versed in anything um I, I mean I still am not super well versed in being able to talk about the music industry but uh from experience I'd say that the like music blogs are like very like I'd say that um at least the ones that I've seen and the ones that uh I've been looking at recently are 
thriving because people care about what they have to say. Um, though, I mean, the swordfish ones, I'm a little bit more biased because they talk <laughs> about my band. But um, I think that it's been really special, at least for the people that are, are close to me and close to us, um, that have been able to like sort of see the reviews, see what people are talking about, um, whether it's swordfish or another local band. Um, and see like, oh wow, that like they're doing this and people are saying this about them. And also just like um, the way that information spreads on the internet to have um, like one link that I can post in a Twitter that links to a 500, 600 word write-up about a band is fantastic because I can put a little tag on it. I can say, hey, look at uh, what this person had to say about a record and put it on our Twitter. And then that gets retweeted around and um, eventually maybe somebody finds it, somebody clicks on it and they find that they they like our music. And so, I mean, I'm sure that not all of the people that click on it follow up in that amount of detail, but I hope that maybe like one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand maybe uh, clicks on it and like sees, oh, wow, this person said some really nice things. I'm going to follow up and listen to this band. Yeah, definitely. And for me, with doing the label and doing this podcast as well as another weekly podcast, it's more of just the idea that people are even interested in anything that I say or do or release or anything like that. And for me, you know, I always tell myself, I'm like, it's sort of just amazing to me that anyone pays attention to anything I do, considering how many other people are doing similar things. And as a band, I imagine that is definitely true because while podcasts may be getting bigger and bigger, there's still way more bands in the world than there are podcasters. (laughs) And, you know, with music being around so much longer than podcasts, (laughs) that's sort of more reasonable to expect there are way more bands. So I think you are definitely taking the right approach of just being like, hey, if one person clicks on this, you know, out of X amount of people, that's good enough for me. And, you know, I did say that sometimes I really like looking at stats. And it's just because, you know, I kind of have this thing with numbers where I just sort of like comparing different situations to how well things do. And it's not necessarily that I'm going to fret over them. Like, when I put stuff up on Hi-Fi Noise, I know it's not going to get the same amount of views as Pitchfork or Spin or Chorus FM or anything like that. But from a personal perspective, I just kind of like seeing how things are doing and if these things even interest anyone at all. Oh, totally. Yeah, I I think that I I share like a similar fascination for with the numbers and things like that. Like, I don't know. I had like a a habit like in the I mean well I guess I still have it I have Google swordfish rodea releases or not releases reviews and I like check and see if there's a new review and then I look and see like if like if there is one if there are the same like sort of um, people like paying attention or looking at it and I mean it's also accessible um, to like look at your Spotify streams and uh, how many people your tweet reaches and things like that. It's really cool. I mean, 
uh, from like a business side of things for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I will let you know right now that I do have a review of your release waiting. It's been submitted to Chorus FM. I'm just sort of waiting for Jason to get around to posting it. And as soon as that is up, I will definitely be sending Joe the link and I'm sure he'll share it with you guys and everything like that. But why don't we take it back to the release and I want to talk a little bit about the recording process for that, because you mentioned that you guys definitely write collaboratively. And for this, you worked on the record with Nick from The Swellers. Mm -hmm. So he recorded it and then Cam from Sorority Noise mastered it. How did you guys get in touch with Nick and Cam? Was that something that happened organically or were you guys introduced by a mutual friend or something like that? (laughs) those are yeah those are great questions um so we we did work with nick and cam um and so when we were looking for so we had um some songs written we had our uh i don't know we probably probably had like nine or ten songs that were um that we were playing live and that we wanted to get recorded and we we're thinking about doing it all over all by ourselves or like finding a friend with some recording equipment and doing it in a basement. But, um, well, I guess if the band hears this, then they'll be sad if I say the word we, but our, our bass player, Elijah, um, he was a really strong proponent of, Hey, these songs are good. We should make sure that the recordings reflect that they are something that we're proud of. And we don't have to say, uh, hey, they, they kind of suck. They were recorded in a basement, but this is what we have. It's just, this is what we have. Um, and so we wanted to get the best recording possible um, that in a way that we didn't have to give any disclaimers on our music. And I am really happy that we chose Nick. We, uh, there was a, another a band that was from uh, our hometown that did some recording with Nick. They were called Hung Up. I don't think they're a band anymore, but they were kind of like i don't know local pop punk celebrities for a little bit okay but uh so when me and kyle kyle and i uh were in high school and like we saw that this band was cropping up and that they did this serious recording with somebody from the swellers we were like oh well we want to do that and then it it turns out that nick was working on some other like phenomenal records um like off the top of my head he'd done the stuff for Backpacks and Forest Green and Hot Mulligan, which are all some really prominent Michigan bands right now. He's about to release the, or I don't know if I can talk much more, but <laughs> it's okay. But uh, yeah, so we basically just Googled Nick Diener's studio and then we found his studio website and we sort of emailed him out of the blue and we worked out a budget and worked out um, the recording days and things like that. Uh, And we uh, ended up like trimming it down to eight songs um, based off of our time and uh, financial constraints. And then, well, that's how we chose Nick. Um, It was just sort of like somebody who was prominent in the scene and doing really good work and somebody who we thought could help us for an affordable price. Um, And then when, we were working with Nick. Nick just sort of proposed different um, mastering uh, people that he works with and people that he sends his work to. 
And we knew that Hop Mulligan had done their um, their mastering through camp. Okay. And so uh, we, I mean, we we were we're all affected by sorority noise in one way or another, or old gray, really. Um, and so it, it was sort of enticing to have uh, somebody that you respect so much um, that they would have some sort of they would have their hands on your on your music at at some point in time, no matter. Um, I mean, even though we were paying, <laughs> we were paying him, but uh, it was really it was kind of a cool prospect to have somebody that we respect so much musically to um, master our record. Yeah, and it's awesome that you guys work with Nick and sort of kept things local because you know I have never been to Michigan. I don't know if I will make it to Michigan at any point in the near future, but you know like you said, there are these bands sort of coming out of that area and Nick is definitely still known for his work with the Swellers. And it's cool that he's sort of locally making this name for himself at his own studio and everything like that. And the fact that he's focusing a lot on these local bands and sort of building up this local scene and everything is really great because you know a lot of times bands will feel like they need to go record with these big name producers and stuff like that and you know go to LA New York or something like that to get the sound they want and I feel like you know nine times out of ten that's likely not true especially for smaller bands who probably, you know, wouldn't benefit from these high recording costs and everything. So it's awesome to see you guys sticking local and sort of sticking to your roots there and knowing just how much you can take on as far as the budget and recording go. Right. Yeah. It was, it was also really cool because um, my like first, like real, I don't know, like punk show, I guess. Um, was at this uh, venue called the Crowfoot in Pontiac, Michigan, and it was uh, for a fusion show's birthday bash, and it was like a lot of dispute and into it over it. And I saw this, I saw the Swellers that night, so it was like really cool to see somebody who I, who like rocked an entire like um, stage, or I mean, like I don't know, it rocked an entire crowd, and like I crowd surfed to their music and stuff. So. For them to be like in this basement, like drinking a cup of coffee with me, like telling me like, oh, you should probably consider doing this because it might sound cooler. It was just like a really, a really cool experience to um, be able to like work with Nick and to be able to work with Cam too. Well, I just have a couple more questions for you regarding the singles. How did you guys go about picking those? Because you released Social Drinker and then you had Go Song up on pitchfork and everything like that so did you guys decide as a group and with joe on what the singles would be or was it sort of you know the band just picked them and you let joe know what they were um so that was um that was sort of a a, sort of a combination of the two we really liked how social drinker turned out and i think when we released that coupled with our announcement that we had signed to take the star records that it was like a really, a really strong foot forward um, that we really were happy about. And then we, 
released our song Wash as our second single on uh, Gold Flake Paint. Okay. Um, and that, and so Social Drinker and Wash are like, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, they're, they're band favorites and ones that we love to play live. They're just like really fun songs to do and with people involved. And, uh, and then Ghost Song was sort of a, uh, sort of came from Joe. Um, he was like, basically like the song is like, is really good and it should be one of the singles that we release and it kind of felt weird to like release three out of the eight songs before a release because I've never heard of anybody doing that right but it I mean it paid dividends I think that uh, it was great to release as a single um and I'm I'm really happy with how the release schedule went and I think that the the band would echo that yeah, and you mentioned Social Drinker and Wash Wash being band favorites. Do you have a personal favorite from this release, or would you sort of stick with one of those two? Personally, uh, I think that um, Wash and I'm Okay are the, the two songs that I have like pretty strong like personal ties to. Okay. I think, I mean, most of the songwriting comes from like the experiences that I've had and me sort of just sort of like capturing those and putting them in boxes and filing them away so that I don't have to deal with them in- anymore. And Wash and I'm Okay were uh, uh, deeply therapeutic songs to write and very emotional songs to play. So I was, so I, I favored those more than some, maybe some of the other songs on the record, but that doesn't mean I don't have personal ties to all of them. Right. Well, Thank you so much, Chandler, for coming on. And to those of you listening, if you have not checked out Rodia yet, definitely do that. And I will have links, you know, to the Take This to Heart store, to Bandcamp, whatever, in the show notes so you guys can easily access that. And again, Chandler, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Deanna. No problem. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.